Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. My guest today is Doug Krause. Doug's the retired head basketball coach at Archibald High School. Doug spent 41 years teaching and coaching uh, in the Archibald school system and obviously is well known for being the head boys basketball coach for so many years and having such great success. But he began his career in 1977 as a wrestling assistant coach of all things. And uh, his journey is fantastic and it's interesting. I, I think it'll be something you'll really enjoy. I hope you have a chance to sit and listen to my conversation with retired Archibald head basketball coach, Doug Krause. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast. Obviously, I'm the host, John Cook, and uh, my guest today is is Doug Krause. Doug's a retired head basketball coach at Archibald High School. Uh, if you listen to a little bit of the intro that I recorded before the the program started, 41 years uh, Coach Krause was was at Archibald High School, and um, that in and of itself is is quite a statement. But it's the it's the story behind the journey that we enjoy telling on this podcast and, and letting coaches talk about their journey and. You know, for as long as I've been uh, around these parts, Northwest Ohio has been home. Uh, Coach Krause is one of the few guys in coaching that I didn't actually meet uh, during the time that I was actively involved. And, and you know, what's interesting, Doug, is I, I did some school counseling work for a while and I got to meet Dave. Uh, yeah, Dave, Dave and I got to know each other a little bit and spent some time together on and off at some different things. But and, and the funny thing is my real connection with your family goes back to about – I want to say about 2001, maybe, uh, maybe 2002, I, I was the athletic director at Upper Side Valley High School, and I was a first-year AD and didn't really know anything about what I was doing, and your dad was the Northwest District Athletic Board Secretary. Um, sure he was. Yeah. And, and he, he was the guy that helped set me straight on how to handle the finances for a volleyball sectional and who to send my paperwork to and, and who, who to man, how to manage and take care of that. If it wasn't for your dad and Jerry Snodgrass, I'm not sure I'd have gotten through that mess a couple of years I was the AD at Upper, but uh, it's been yeah, – it, he, he did that for 40 years. Well, I, I want to actually get into your story more, but let's let's start there. I, what, what I find fascinating is your, your family uh, kind of is just – it seems like it's how you guys operate, that, that, that long-time commitment, loyalty to a task, and, and devotion to what you're doing just seems to be a big part of you guys. Well, uh, again, that probably comes right from, uh, you know, our father who, as you just mentioned, uh, you know, helped a lot of people. He, he was, he was true and blue to the OHSA and Northwest District Board. And I've, I've heard that comment a lot of times that he helped me with my papers or my financial reports, uh, different guys over the years, but, you know, Dad uh, got started. He was a coach himself uh, right out of college. Uh, coached a whole game, took a team to uh, Cincinnati at the time, Cincinnati Gardens. Uh, so we had the, you know, we, we always had, he was superintendent of schools. Uh, he started at Holgate, went to Liberty Center as a principal, moved to Dessler as a superintendent. And then he became the first superintendent of Patrick Henry High School, which started up in uh, the school itself was 1970. The consolidation was before that of Hamler, Malinta, and Deschler. But uh, um, so with his, you know, so-called pull, we had keys to the gym anytime we wanted to go. And he would take us up and 
and uh, that was that was a start. Uh, and you know, he was certainly an influence on me as far as me wanting to get into uh, the education. Well, and I, coach, I just think there is so much benefit to uh, younger coaches, to aspiring coaches, maybe even to to guys that have been doing it for a while. I think there's a great deal of benefit to, to gain from the guys that, that have been around the block and, 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 and have stepped away from it. You know, I've, I've had guys on this podcast, Bob Galoni, uh, you know, Dave Fralick, uh, and guys that have, have, you know, they're not, they're not actively coaching any longer. They've stepped away from the profession, but I feel like there's so much that those guys and guys like yourself have learned uh, whether it was through trial and error or whether it was through mentors that they worked under, obviously the success that a lot of you guys had in coaching has value, but there's just, to me, there's so much value in people letting other people's lessons teach them things and let other people's mistakes teach you things. And I, I feel like there's at times we don't get enough of that. And you, you had that right there in your own home growing up, obviously your dad with his experience. And then when you went through high school uh, were you uh, were you one of those guys that was a multi-sport athlete? I mean, it was more common, obviously, in the 60s and 70s, uh, certainly than it is now. But were you a guy that was a multi-sport athlete? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, uh, football, basketball, and baseball. And I was very fortunate uh, when uh, the superintendent of the school has hired some some coaches for those, uh, you know, for the for the positions. Uh, he hired a guy fresh out of Upper Sayota High School. Uh, you may remember the name Steve Kick. I, I do. Uh, I do remember the name Steve he's Kick. Before your time, probably. Uh, my mom. My mom was actually a cheerleader for Coach Kick's teams. Um, my my mom. My dad graduated from Alger High School. My mom graduated from Upper Sayota Valley. So it would have been probably my mom's freshman or sophomore year was the consolidation year. She was. She spent almost her whole high school career at Upper Scioto, but she cheered for Coach Kick's teams, and he, he actually came and spoke at the banquet at Upper Scioto Valley a couple times when my brother was coaching there and my sister played there and uh, had the good fortune of meeting Coach Kick on a number of occasions and really was, was, was I'm glad you brought that up because uh, he's another one of those guys that I think maybe was a little bit ahead of his time in coaching. Oh, without a doubt. And, and, and so when you – Experience. I mean, he was a young guy when he got the Upper Side of Valley job, and and just like anybody else that's ever coached at Upper Side of Valley, there were people that thought he was an idiot uh, because that's that's kind of the way it works over there, um, you know. But he he was really well respected pretty much throughout the community, had a great deal of success. But uh, when he moved on from Upper Side of Valley, he ends up uh, up there at, at Patrick Henry, and and he and and just talk a little bit, if you would, about his impact on you as a player, and maybe even the way he might have impacted your, your desire to coach? Well, first and foremost, uh, Coach Kick was a guy who was excellent in the classroom. Uh, he, he loved his history, and and uh, I was fortunate enough to sit toward the back so I didn't get all his little uh, spittles that he had thrown out at him. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was a great teacher. He kept things interested. And, and you know what? When we got the basketball, uh, you know, as you said, you hit it right in the right in the nail on the head. He was way ahead of his time. Uh, we scored a lot of points. We we guarded well. Uh, all his teams when I was around there. Uh, my senior year, I uh, Coach Kick will give you the numbers, but we were we scored something like eighty some a game, eighty four, and gave up fifty four. Uh, 
But what was so remarkable was we played a we played a, a matchup zone, and I can remember you know I was out toward the front of that matchup zone, and everybody's yelling, "It's man to man! It's man to man!" <laughs> and and it wasn't. Uh, uh, I remember scrimmaging uh, uh, defiance, uh, and they were. Uh, saying he was man to man, but uh, his defense was uh, good. And we played, we did play man, and uh, we had a lot of good ball players, and and uh, it was a good, good, uh, good group of guys. Well, and, and you know, uh, it's it's funny you mentioned that matchup zone because I obviously I didn't get to see his teams play it, but early on in my coaching career, we we used to scrimmage over at Indian Lake. Russ Hogue, who who's who's now deceased, and. Uh, had cancer and Russ was a great guy. Russ was, he didn't coach at the lake very long, but he played at Kenton for coach kick. And when he took over at Indian Lake, he, he talked about running coach kicks matchup zone. And, and, and we went against him in scrimmages. And I, I was always a little bit befuddled by it because there's, there's matchup zones. And then there was the way this thing was run. And I'm assuming that he did a lot of the same rules, but there was a very kind of point of pickup. They could extend that thing almost to the half court circle. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. to pick you up and get out in the passing lanes really, really early that, that did make it look kind of like man-to-man. But um, was that a, a defense when you played it that you that you held on to? Is it something you could have used as a coach, or did, was it just something you enjoyed playing? Well, I, I loved playing it. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm remiss to say this as a coach. You know, I've always felt if you can't teach it, and you can't you know, get it across to your guys in a good way, then you shouldn't be doing it. Uh, yeah, it was a great zone uh, matchup, and I, but I was never smart enough, good enough, and to correlate it to our team. So you know what? We just were a boring man-to-man team. So <laughs> uh, that worked out okay too. Yeah, I was gonna say boredom works all right if you're. I think it's. Paul Patterson, maybe at Taylor University, that talks about the monotony of excellence. I, I think your man-to-man defense would have qualified. <laughs> yeah, uh, we also uh, I also played football a lot. Of, you know, the same guys. We all played all the sports. Uh, played football for a gentleman by the name of Bob Bowerly. Coach Bowerly um, is. He was one of the best motivators I've ever been around. If he said run through that wall, yeah, I'd let somebody else go first, but I'd be <laughs> right with him. No, but he, uh, he was great. He was, uh, he started, he started a football program there, at Patrick Henry. In fact, he he was a teacher uh, at Deschler prior to the Patrick Henry opening up, and we. We, you know, we had to quit playing fall baseball because this football season. He had to teach us everything: how to put on the uniform, how to wear your girdle pads, everything about about the game. When we practiced, they bust kids over from Hamer Molina that was going to be of age to play. And uh, you know, think about starting a program from scratch. And Coach Barley did that, and uh, uh, he did it well. And, and so you've mentioned, we'll, we'll get into your, your career a little bit here. So you've mentioned high school basketball. You've mentioned high school football. You said you were a baseball player. You played all three sports. But you didn't mention that you wrestled at all. And, and we were talking earlier today 
Uh, I found out something I didn't know that your first coaching job was actually as an assistant wrestling coach. <laughs> yeah, I, I've said this many times that I'm, I'm probably one of the only coaches uh, in the state of Ohio, maybe even in the country, that started their coaching career and, and uh, on the wrestling mat. <laughs> and I, I coach with a guy by the name of Charlie Forward, Chuck Forward, who is, again, he's a Hall of Fame wrestling coach. He's, he is just, uh, he was just great. I learned a lot from Charlie. One thing I did learn was how hard you could push kids. I mean to tell you, I'm watching those practices, and I'm saying, holy moly, how, wait, wait, you can't give him a break, you know, or whatever. But no, we just kept after him, and I got a whole new appreciation for the for the wrestling people. His program was getting bigger, and he needed an extra coach. So when I took the job at Archibald, I, there was no teaching. There, excuse me, there was no coaching uh, involved. But you know what? I had a couple other opportunities, and I just felt that Archibald 1 was just a better all-around uh, situation, even though if there was now no coaching. And I got the call during the summer that there came a coaching av availability, and that was a wrestling job. Uh, a funny thing real quick here, uh, John, when uh, we had the first day of practice, of course, I go in there, my Chuck Taylor high tops and my <laughs> Jim Shorts, and these guys have got all their wrestling gear. And Coach Forward said, hey, this is Coach Krause. He was a, he was an all-Mac wrestler from Bowling Green. He had knee surgery, so he won't be able to wrestle for a while. <laughs> Well, you know what, Coach? I, I had a guy tell me on one of the podcasts that we recorded that maybe the most critical thing about coaching today is, is having credibility. And and I guess sometimes even back then you do what you have to do to create some credibility. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> My job basically was to run them. Uh, you know, he had so, we had so many kids in the in the wrestling room. Uh, I took half of them in the, in the school and ran the stuff. We ran and I told him I could do that. What the heck? Uh, yeah, but it was great. We had a great team. Had a lot of good dudes, and I, I, uh, yeah, I still come you know, around town here. I still go across or come across those guys. Uh, they still chuckle when they say, "Hey, you know, you started the wrestling program." <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, the interesting thing about that is, coach, is I, I think. You said you learned something right away from 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 the head wrestling coach about what you can can push kids to do, and I uh, you know I, I just I guess the one thing I really love about coaching is I'm a basketball guy, but we see it today, and and it was true you know 25, 30, 35 years ago that coaching is coaching, and there's a lot to be learned from from people that do it well, and it doesn't matter what the sport is. That's, I I love that we see guys like Izzo talk about visiting football programs and. And, 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 oh, no, and no. visit with football coaches because I, I think coaching is coaching and there, there are things to be gained. I always laugh because, you know, I worked in college for Coach Campoli and and he's become a real mentor, like a second dad to me. But to get out of being an assistant football coach uh, when he coached as the assistant basketball coach at Northern to get out of that, he was required to to start women's soccer at Northern. And I'm not sure he'd ever attended a soccer match in his life. And he became a head college soccer coach. Um, in, in, in about two or three seasons, I think the third season, um, he, he was the OAC coach of the year in soccer. And, and again, I don't know what he knows about soccer. He could tell you, and I'm sure there'd be a funny story to it. But 
there are a lot of things about coaching that's just transferable and, and, and I think is important. And when you talk about learning that early lesson of how hard you can push kids, um, I, I again, I, I find that fascinating because I don't remember who said it to me when I first started 25 plus years ago. I had a coach tell me one time that you, you may have to back off at some point on the things that you demand of these guys. But the one truth he said is if you demand it from them long enough, they'll give it to you. Oh, no doubt. Um, you know, along those same lines, uh, uh, I, I coach I coach freshman football for five, six years. Uh, and John, we had two coaches I was with, uh, Randy Riddle, uh, who's now passed away. You know, what a great guy Randy was. And then John Downey came in after him. And John, all he did was win, you know, 200 and some games. He's, you know, he's a Hall of Famer himself. But, you know, J.D. John, he, uh, when, the one thing I, I got from John was that you, there's a time to have fun and there's a time that you got to go to work. And I'll never forget, you know, we're down the locker room and the coaches before practice and he's in there joking around and he'd open that door and he'd just jump on some kid for whatever. <laughs> and then he'd come back in to start laughing again like he just didn't miss a beat, you know. But there's, you know, again, a good time to to have fun and, and enjoy it and then get after him when you get back on the field and do your thing. And uh, They did that well. And he wasn't afraid to take little guys and put them on the line and, and make changes. And uh, that was uh, uh, a good experience for me as well. Well, it sounds like, and again, the, the little nuggets like that, again, I think are so valuable to young people today. If, if, if you're coaching young people and you can get them to understand that, what we're doing here, we want it to be fun, but but there's a time when it's about the work. And and again, I, I'm not saying that's lost on this generation. I'm just saying sometimes it's a it's a it's a distinction they have a hard time making. Um, no, no doubt. You know, um, and I think there's real yeah, va- real know, value I, in that. I, I got to mention, I was listening for mention a couple of these coaches. We had a lady coach, Shar uh, Sharp, who is, is statewide, nationally known. She's Hall of Famer herself uh, in volleyball. I mean, our volleyball girls were very good. And I used to go watch them practice. just kind of like what. And you know what? I didn't really care what they, what they were doing, you know, as far as their practice. But Char ran a practice that was boom, 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 boom. A great rhythm to it. And, you know, to me, I'm thinking, this is how you run a practice. Now, she also coached our basketball girls, uh, and I, it was a little bit different, you know, as far as her rhythm and practicing. But but uh, her volleyball was was like uh, was like music out there, man. It was just flow and boom, boom, boom. And and I could actually we could spend a lot of time on that topic right there. I mean, I don't know what your feeling is, and every coach sees it differently, but. Uh, you know, I, I could coach for another 15 or 20 years or I could stay out of coaching for as long as I choose to stay out of it. I, I, I'm not sure I'll ever get to the place, though, where I don't miss practice. Uh, my, my, my favorite part of the game w- was the practice floor. And I enjoyed the games and I and I obviously the relationships were critically important. But my favorite part of the game was practice and trying to get better and better and better at that portion of it. 
Uh, talk a little bit about you, Will, if you would, when you when you got into your your basketball coaching career, and you had told me earlier that you coached the the, the freshman uh, from eighty to eighty five at the, at the same time while you were also coaching a little bit of football and you were coaching baseball. Um, talk a little bit, if you would, about how how when you organized the practice, kind of how did you structure things when you started your career, maybe compared to how things were a little bit later on. Well, when I, when I first started, um, let's just say at the freshman level, um, it was, <laughs> I, I look back and we did so many, quote, drills that really didn't apply to the game. You know, uh, you might say, okay, the conditioners, uh, maybe go that route with them. But, you know, they didn't really, you couldn't take them to the game uh, as such, you know, uh, you know, just straight line layups. Come on. Right. <laughs> uh, right. Right. Uh, three man weave, uh, which I like, but we've added some things to that. I mean, as a more of a drill that you could use, uh, to, uh, make it a little bit more worthwhile, different things like that. Um, uh, you know, we did, you know, one-on-one defense, we did the defensive things, uh, you know, as time went on, we we did we did lots of shell work defensively, lots, and you could break down everything you want to in a shell uh, drill, uh, which you could carry over right to the game, obviously. And so our, our practices were, I would just I would tell you they yeah they moved fairly well, but it wasn't uh, they weren't good practices overall. And, and, and it's interesting you say that because I think obviously we all we all grow and develop and evolve as coaches. But uh, I mean, so, somewhere along the line, you 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 had the influence of, of of wanting to become a head coach. You had a lot of different things that you could could take and piecemeal together into your philosophy on things. But um, when you when you think back over your time as the head basketball coach at Archibald, what what do you what did you draw on or where did you get a lot of what what resources were the things that were most important to you in terms of your growth and development? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I followed a, a guy um, who was a good friend of mine, Steve Redding. Uh, Steve uh, was a local local Archibald uh, guy, and he was a great player back in the sixties. Became uh, the varsity coach, and and Steve knew his basketball. Uh, no doubt, he knew it. Uh, you know, like like a lot of people, uh, I'm sure on your podcast uh, back in those days, the the flex was really in in vogue, and he ran the flex and this and that. But um, uh, he was a good good uh, person to to uh, you know learn from. Uh, just to get me going, uh, I, I really, I really, my brother Dave and I have really spent a lot of time together. He's probably as good as anybody. Uh, and hey, Dave, what do you think about this or this and that? And he'll boom, give you an answer, and and it, it's good stuff. Uh, we we shared a lot of stuff over the years. Uh, you know, you go to go to clinics. I don't think young guys. Of course, the clinics nowadays are different. I mean, there's not a lot of clinics out there per se. Uh, and camps, the camps are different because they're all playing camps. Um, I used to go to camps, you know, um, 
Ohio State, uh, you know, uh, Ohio University. Uh, and you'd come across coaches and you could sit and talk and X and O. And, I mean, that's that's good stuff. I mean, and the kids, you know, coaches don't do that anymore. In fact, a lot of your, a lot of your young guys want to go right into the head job. I mean, I didn't get my head job until I was 30, 31 years old. Uh, and that was fine. But what was, uh, but I had been building up. In fact, I remember telling my wife uh, that summer, Susie, there's a couple jobs opening up. I think I'm going to apply for one. I, I think I'm ready to, to run a program. And uh, then the Archbishop job came open, and one thing led to another. Well, and, and that's what I, I guess I would, would find curious is you, you see that, first of all, coaching has become, it, it, it's just in the last 20 years, it's just become an issue where young guys get hired a lot earlier than they used to. And, and so because they're able to, and I was one of those guys, I got hired probably way too soon before I really probably should have been hired to be a head coach right out of college. And it, it's more common that it's younger guys. And so they don't have a mentorship kind of relationship with somebody they don't have. Uh, that development uh, as an assistant, which I I, I really kind of missed out on myself. Um, but you had that that kind of I'll, I'll use the word that incubation time where you were growing into the role. So when you when you became a head coach for the first time, how did you prioritize what was what was most important for you to get established with your team? Well, um, you know, one I I, I think we wanted to do we wanted to. You know, and that's a good question because I've always felt this. If I go to somebody's practice and watch their practice, you should be able to see what's important to them, uh, to that coach. And had you come to our practices, uh, whether it was when I started or, you know, even the latter parts, you'd, you'd, you'd have seen, you know, a team playing great, you know, hopefully working on their defense and, the impetus on that and the impetus on their, you know, finishing off a possession with a rebound. Um, offensively, at that time, we were more uh, a continuity team. <laughs> like a lot of guys, we ran uh, uh, the Van Wert, Greg Knopf stuff, uh, you know, with uh, his, his uh, I don't know, I don't know what he called it, but it was a good, you know, good continuity offense. And we ran a couple of them that we got from him. But you would have seen that. And uh, we pressed at times, but not much. Uh, I, I think one of the things that we tried to do was to space the floor well, which I think is really important. And we'd break down. We would break down drill work with, you know, with positions, you know, big guys here, little guys there, and work on feet, the post, work on whatever. Um, so those are things that we probably did when we started out. It's been a few years ago. I can't remember yeah. all that. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure it's not that easy to remember. But what you will remember, I'm sure, is, is – maybe some of the bigger things that changed in the way you operated. You you went, you said you were a continuity offense guy early on, uh, always a man-to-man defensive guy. Can you, can you kind of pinpoint some things where as the game evolved, you, you shifted your focus and, and, and adapted a little bit either end of the floor? 
Well, one of the things that I, I have tried to do is you take a look at your personnel and we just, I was a guy that said, okay, we're not just going to do this, this, and this, this, because that's how we do it. Now we may do this and this, but we're now going to add something because it fits our personnel better. You know, some years we had some teams that would be a little bit more capable of pressing because we maybe had a few more numbers and we had guys we could, you know, throw in and out. Um, we, but there are some teams that we, we couldn't do that with. Uh, we did play zone depending on some players. Uh, we didn't play a lot of zone in our, in our time together, but, um, we, we of course always had one in and, and, uh, we would maybe have changed and adapt with that a little bit as well. Um, the, the thing that we, we, we went into and got into as the time went on is I think basketball now is, and I, and I tried to express to our junior high guys, and we've had some really good junior high coaches over the years, um, that don't, just because the kid's the tallest kid, don't just say he's a post player. Uh, you know, we don't have numbers. We're not saying you're number one, two, three, four, five. Everybody can do this, this, this. They all do the same, you know, uh, individual development stuff. And we all want to shoot the basketball. We're going to shoot it with all five guys or all the guys on your team. <laughs> but uh, that's why we changed a lot. We opened things up on the offensive end, um, made the extra pass. You know, we, we had a drill that we said one more pass. Uh, and our kids love doing that drill. And, and um, very simple drill, but they, they loved it because – they had to move. They had to. Get, they all got shots in it, uh, and just one more pass. And how many times in a ball game, one more pass gets you a great look? Uh, and that's one thing that we've we've strived on, and really, really, I think, have done a pretty good job with in the latter years, in the last X number of years, I should say. Well, Coach, let, let's take a short break here, and then I, I would like to talk a little bit more about that specific drill and then get into some other things about your later development and coaching after our break. Okay, All right, no problem. We'll take a short break. Be right back. Hey, I wanted to take just a second and tell you how much I appreciate you listening to the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast. If you're a regular listener and you enjoy the podcast, I'd like you to consider – uh, being a partner to the show. We've lost our sponsorship with Anchor. They're still our platform, but the sponsorship agreement ha has ended after four months. And, and I would really like you to consider being a sponsor and a partner to the show. There's a place at anchor.fm where you can uh, donate to the podcast on a monthly basis. And it can be as small as a couple of dollars and as large as you would like it to be. Uh, and we would like to consider uh, some title sponsorship if we get some some donations that are, are, are larger in nature. But I, I really am just hopeful that that a handful of listeners who enjoy what we do here would like to see this continue and allow us the opportunity to to gain from it and pay off some things, too, on our end here at the podcast. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and you enjoy what we do and you have any interest at all in, in being a sponsor and, and making a monthly donation to the podcast, please visit anchor.fm. And uh, check out the option of, of making a monthly donation to the podcast. Greatly appreciate your consideration. And as always, whether you're a donor or not, 
Uh, we hope you continue to listen and find enjoyment in Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook. So, Coach Cross, right before the break, you, you had mentioned a, a drill that you enjoyed in your practice that, that you thought was valuable to your guys, the, the, the one more pass drill. And we were talking a little bit uh, during the break uh, about how it was kind of sequential for you, but you used it as a teaching tool and a skill development tool at the same time. Uh, that's correct. And, you know, basically, John, you, you put guys in all five spots. If you just wanted to use four spots, you could. But we put guys in all five spots, both corners, both wings, top of the key. Ball starts in a wing. Ball's reversed. And every time the ball gets reversed, the guy who's receiving the pass, he's got to get open. He just can't stand there. You know, the defense didn't go allow that. So we swing it, and we swing it to the other corner. And now he is going to make a baseline drive, and he's you know jumps out of bounds or whatever. We we call it skip pass. Uh, we we call it slide actually. He slides and the because the guy in the weak side is going to slide down for the shot. But uh, we then we kicked it over to the other guy in the corner for a shot. I uh, and then we we just add different things. You know I I could have said okay. The third guy's got to make a play. So we pass, pass, and when the third guy gets the pass, now he is going to, boom, get drill drive, get into the key, and then he's going to kick it out to any one of his teammates. And that guy's got a shot. We rotate, we bow, rotate. And then we can do do the same thing and say, okay, we um, third pass, third pass, make a play, one more. So we do the same thing we just got done doing, and now he kicks it out to his teammate, and now he's got guys on maybe both sides. One more, one more, and he's got to you know make a decision which guy he wants to throw to, All right? And uh, the shot goes up. And we could say we could even go two guys making a play, you know. So you know, third guy make a play, kick it out. One more, make another play, you know. <laughs> Well, and, and Coach, uh, I, I love what you're describing because, honestly, you talked early in the podcast about some of your – when you were young in your coaching career, that the the amount of time you spent in practice on things that weren't game-relatable or transferable to a game. But what you're describing right there, uh, essentially regardless of what you want to quote-unquote run on offense, a, a lot of high school basketball, a lot of basketball at every level comes down to when the floor is broken, so to speak, or you're you're not able to set an offense. And what you're what you're describing there is teaching kids – how to play in a situation where they're, it's really not by design, but at the same time, they can have an organized way of attacking anything they see. Yeah, no doubt. And it was a great drill for us. Uh, very simple. Kids loved it. It got things going. We did it oftentimes together practice. And kids just got, you know, that's a great way to, you know, we like to, you know, change up on how we would start our practice. But uh, they loved it get this and they you know, of course they love to shoot i think if anything guys sometimes mess up on and this is me back when i started we were, were so worried about running flex offense and getting the right down picks and and cutting uh we didn't get shots we got the 15 footer but we couldn't put it in the hole you know <laughs> well you know now now we're going to shoot the ball a lot in practice you know every kid's going to get x number of shots we don't we don't gauge it i mean we don't mark it down or anything 
but uh, we're going to spend a lot of time shooting the basketball. You know, Coach Williman told me once, right, and maybe maybe right after he got out, but I think it was right before he decided to retire from Liberty Benton, we were talking about coaching and practice. And, you know, I'm not sure there's a guy that I've ever been around or certainly one that I competed with that I felt like was better defensively and having his team yeah. prepared. But he, he told me once that one of the things that really evolved for him as a coach was he, he made the decision at some point in his coaching career that in any given practice day, you may have to change your practice plan. You have to sacrifice something because something goes long or you're, you know, you're off schedule a little bit, but he, he made the statement to me, coach, that I'll, I'll sacrifice anything else before I sacrifice shooting. No shooting. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I agree. I, I agree. You know, and I think you can have different approaches depending on the level you're at. I've heard actually heard some college coaches say that they don't do much shooting in practice because they're just going to tell their guys, you got to get back over here at some point and get 30 yeah. minutes of shooting in. High school coaches, you don't have that luxury. I mean, you don't, you can't tell a guy, hey, bet- between your fourth and sixth period classes sometime, get over here and get some shots up. Um, so I think it's critical to, to spend time shooting. And, and, and again, that drill that you described, not just spend time shooting, but spend time shooting that's situationally transferable where it's a little bit game-like. Yeah, and, you know, um, that's one of the differences between college and high school. You know, now, we did have kids come in before school and get exercise in, obviously. But um, uh, during practice, man, you got to shoot the basketball. And and one of the things I liked about that was it's more game-like. It's more game speed. It, to me, it doesn't do anybody, anybody good to stand there and just and throw it up there and, you know, then kind of half half go after the ball and then throw another one up there. Come on, that's not, you're never going to play a game like that. No, and, and, and I love what you said about game speed because – you know, the, the truth on game speed, I think, Coach, is it, it's not always just going fast. It's 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 actually going game speed. Like it's catch and a change of pace and a change of direction. Oh, exactly. And and, yeah. and that, that's where, to me, shooting is important is making sure you're shooting off of a game-like catch. And game-like catch means yeah. maybe you're moving, maybe you're not. But but putting the ball in a guy's shooting pocket on the catch is important. And, and so that drill you described is just one example of a way that you can cr- incorporate a lot of different important skills that – I mean, there are a lot of different drills that you can design for passing, and there are a lot of different drills that you can design for shooting, but the one you described, that one more drill, kind of creates a situation where, again, a lot of game situation stuff that maybe you can't necessarily create in in a five-on-five situation, but it's going to come up in a five-on-five, and and you're kind of prepared for it. Yeah, and again, uh, you could do different things with that, too. You could put defense if you wanted to. You could make it a contest, keep score, or whatever. We we never did that. I'm not sure why we didn't, because we always had the clock going, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That was probably the one of the things I learned early in my coaching career, because we – when I was in a student assistant in college, we did not practice by the clock, but we always practiced with the shot clock. So our drill, our drills weren't timed out to the minute or anything, but – but anytime we were in a competitive situation, we were practicing with a shot clock, so the clock became important. But early on, when I became a head coach right out of college, you know, one of my first goals was to find a kid that really that was young, that wasn't in high school yet, that really liked basketball and would come and run the clock for me during practice. Oh, that's great, uh, yeah. You know, and I, I think that's really, really valuable just to make sure that you're keeping yourself on that kind of schedule a little bit and making guys play according to the clock. Now, you, you had mentioned before – 
41 years at Archibald, 34 years as a head coach. And I, I told you uh, when we weren't recording before the, the podcast started, there's there's one question I always like to ask, whether it's a young coach, an older coach, is the first time you become a head coach, I, I think one of the things that is little discussed and maybe overlooked is you're, you're the head coach. You've been preparing your whole career to, to do this. You've been waiting for your turn to become a head coach, but you got to put together a staff. Was that challenging for you as, as, as a young head coach? I mean, you were in your what, early 30s, I think you said, but putting together a staff, what was that like for you? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And I, I'll tell you right now, John, um, it wasn't the easiest thing to do at that time. Uh, I, was, I went in there. I didn't have a so-called – my interview was just basically we talked uh, with the superintendent and principal. They didn't talk any basketball as far as X's and O's, that type of stuff. I didn't have a folder with me to present. And we just talked. Right? And I, I told them uh, – you know, I said, you know, I, I, I love it here at Archibald. We've lived here. I said, but there's, for me to take this position, there's three things I need. See, Archibald has just let go two coaches in a four-year period. <laughs> and, wow. you know, I said, that's three things I need. One, I need to be – and I taught out to Ridsville. That's where our middle school was at the time. And the high school was up here. Uh and I said, I need to be up in the high school area. Well, I had an elementary degree, and the fifth grade was up here, the, and you know, the, up to, to the fifth grade, and there was a fifth grade vacancy. I, and I knew that would be a, no problem, and they say, no problem. I said, well, because we've just let two guys go here in the recent past, I said, I want to keep my head baseball job. I love baseball. And I said, I want to be, uh, I want to keep that job because if basketball doesn't work out, I got baseball to fall back on. And if it gets to be too much, I'll be the first to tell you. All right. What's the third thing? I'm going to, I want to name my own coaches because when they non renewed the previous coach, Coach Redding, they hired me and they hired the other guy, the other assistant coach. Um, to the contracts, I mean, and so I, I, I resigned. I gave him a letter of resignation. <laughs> I said, I'm resigning my position, and if whoever gets the job wants me to be coaching for him, I, I will. All right. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, we need new people around here. We need new blood. And they got by, you got by your mind? I said, yeah, so-and-so. And the guy said, I don't know if that's going to work. And I said, okay, no problem. I don't need it. I, I, I was going to say, fine, I'll just stay with what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and uh, well, let me, let me look. And so he came back and he told me, no, couldn't get it done. I said, hey, no problem. And I said, I'll just stay, you know, <laughs> as such. Well, so then the my superintendent says, well, what about, what about Joe Frank? And I said, well, we don't have any vacancies. He said, well, let me worry about that. And <laughs> I like enough, that answer. Yeah, sure enough, Joe gets hired because there was a halftime history teacher at the high school. 
after that was uh, Levy. I mean, she was going from full-time to half-time. So he got that, plus he added some other things. And they said, okay, you're set then, right? And I said, yeah, Joe's good. We talked briefly, and I knew Joe. Um, and <laughs> he says, okay, you're good to go. I said, no. I said, I need an assistant coach because we need new blood. And he said, well, we already gave this guy a contract. I said, not my problem. <laughs> I, said, I said, you know, I, 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 I need somebody else. Well, a couple of days went by later, and they said, what about Mike Kennedy? I said, well, we don't have any openings. And he says, let me worry about that. <laughs> so Kennedy played up at Calvin up in, you know, up in uh, Michigan. Michigan yeah. And he had to go another year. He had to get his Ohio degree, teaching degree. So Mike was uh, coming back to town. Joe lived in Toledo because he already had taught the first year down in the Clay School District. And I talked to Mike, and we're good to go. So I said, yep, that works for me. I'll take the job. So, so here's the question. You, you, you had what you wanted. It took a little bit of effort, but you got what you wanted, so you're ready to take the job. Two questions. One is, did you see yourself as a guy that was going to take a head coaching job and, and ride it out for whatever that was, 10, 12, 15, 20, whatever the, the, the time would allow, were you going to stay? Did you see that as, as your future? I'm going to be here, and this is what I'm going to do. That's question one. Second question is, did you expect to have a staff stay intact as long as yours did? I'll answer the second one first. Uh, <laughs> no, how do you expect that? You know what I'm saying? But uh, the, the one good thing about that, I kind of, you know, yeah, both those guys have been off the job to other places, I mean, throughout the time. But they hung around, they stayed, all right? And one of the things that, you know, made a big difference was they're both Archibald guys. They wanted to come back here. They're part of the program. They were on the team in 79. They both were the starting guards that took the team, you know, that was instrumental in hitting Columbus. Uh, so they, they had a vested interest, a major vested interest. Um, the other part of the job question, hey, I was going to take that baby as long as I could. I, um, I wasn't totally stupid. Like I said, I asked to keep my baseball job for a while. And uh, when we started out my first year, actually, uh, Cookie, we started out, we're 16-0 and 0 <laughs> to start our, our first year. And uh, we ended up losing a couple, but uh, we had 20 wins. You know, I'm saying it's an easy gig. <laughs> a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> you find out real quick, but uh, – well, for, for any of our listeners that don't know, 34 years as a head coach at Archibald High School, and you had the same high school staff for all 34 years, and that's uh, – it's a phenomenal kind of outlier type of thing, but, but it also says a lot about – well, two things. One, it says a lot about the program that you ran, but it also says a lot about the individuals, that, that the program was more important than anything that they individually might have hoped for. Yeah, and you know what? One other thing i got to add – uh, we moved Mike up to varsity assistant. That became a, a big thing, you know, and, and, you know, we got to keep up with the Joneses ourselves. So 
we hired another guy who was a former Archbold athlete and uh, played for me in baseball. Uh, and he too was an Archbold guy and, you know, lived in town and taught. And uh, he took the freshman job and he, he stayed in the freshman job for 30 years. And you, uh, when, when you got that kind of stability, obviously the program is going to benefit from it. Now, Coach, there's a lot of places that a guy could coach 30 plus years and not have the success that you had. I mean, there's a it's a special place at Archibald. But I'm also a little bit curious. During the course of 34 years coaching at Archibald, you were not only in your own league and in that immediate area, but across Northwest Ohio, whether it was tournament trail and tournament runs or whatever it might be, you you were competing night in, night out, week in, week out with some of the best coaches the state of Ohio has ever seen. Um, while you're, you know, learning on the job, so to speak, and growing into that job, were there guys that you competed with that you feel like were really, really, uh, where it benefited your career and you, you grew and benefited as a coach from some of the guys you competed with? Well, I already mentioned my brother. Yeah. Uh, Dave was at PH. Now, John, I'm telling you, if you wanted to see something that was pretty intense, come to our league game when we're both fighting for the league championship and – He's on one bench and I'm on the other. It's 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 an absolute. It remind me of the times that we would play, you know, back backyard basketball or any sport in the house, whatever. And it would always be fisticuffs. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you guys weren't allowed I mean, to fight. Uh, oh yeah, we went at it. Uh, uh. We didn't get a fight during the basketball floor, but. Uh, God, all those games were intense. Well, you know, I, I grew up with, as an identical twin, and, and I, I tell you, to, to do something for as long as you did it, my, my brother was in coaching early on and then moved on to other things, but the only time we ever competed head-to-head, he was the JV coach at Upper Soda Valley, and I was, in my last year of college, I was the JV coach at Ada, and we played each other in Ada a couple days before Christmas, and, and so we're both in college. We're, we're finishing school. We lived together in an apartment in Alger, and, and for the week of the game, I moved out. Like, I moved in with my old college roommate. He had a house in Ada, and I moved in with him for the week. And, and we had all these friends from, from different schools and people we had grown up with and met in college. And they were, hey, we're going we're gonna to be at the game, and we'll come out to your apartment afterwards, and we'll hang around. And, and the only time I ever saw a packed house for a JV game, and, and they, they beat us on a banked-in three-point shot at the buzzer. Um, and I, I didn't go home <laughs> for, for two more days. I had people at my apartment. I had, I was getting phone calls at 10 o'clock, get over here and hang out. So I went through it once and it ripped my guts out. I can't imagine what 34 years had to feel like. Well, we went at it 24 times, uh, in that time. Um, and the, the rule for us was, and I, you understand, and you can as a twin, I suppose, uh, we talk about every day. Oh, yeah. Right? Yep. We did then, and we still do. Right? And that rule, that one, it just kind of became an unwritten rule. We never talked that week of that game. And then whoever got beat, that person had to make the first call uh, to get things going again. <laughs> that's, the game. A, that's a great now, rule. I would, I would call my brother up within, you know, maybe it might be a day or so. Shoot, sometimes took him three weeks before he <laughs> I can relate. I certainly can relate. I, that's uh, To me, that's just fascinating. Obviously, you guys both had tremendous success. 
Um, and, and I know from when I was in college and, and, and first starting my, my coaching career, I can remember making my way uh, up to Archibald or up in Napoleon, if it was during tournament time or up in that direction, two things that stand out. One, you guys started eventually running just phenomenal clinics uh, at Archibald. The second one was did you, did you come clinics? I, I made it to a couple of them. I didn't make it to as many as I wanted to, but I, I got up there. Um, I'm trying to think the, the year I wanted to go up was, I think you had Larry Brown speak. And, yep, and Larry, that was 1996. So that was my second year as a head coach. Nice and, and Larry, I think Larry spoke at your place on the same night as maybe a district eight meeting, uh, because the district eight meeting was early because Bill Brown from Wittenberg spoke at the district eight meeting. And I was chatting with him afterwards and he said, Hey, I hate to cut you short, but he said, I got to get to Archibald because Larry Brown's speaking. And he said, I, I don't want to miss Larry Brown, but I made it up. I think the year I went up there, maybe Dockage might've spoken, maybe Izzo uh, uh spoke yeah. but you guys put together some phenomenal clinics and then yeah, we did we had it was a great time uh, you know i you know don meyer came don meyer was fantastic he, he's you know i know you, you you've talked about him before I, I love that guy what a great guy um uh and you know you talk about sharing information i mean if, if Don Meyer can share information, any coach can. Well, uh, and, 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 you know, I, I always said this about Coach Meyer. I never got to meet the guy, and I actually only got to hear him speak once. It was over at Taylor University after his accident even. He was at Northern State, but it was after his yeah. accident. And, and, and he's a guy I just – if you do such a thing and when you're an adult, I idolize the way he did things because what I always admired about Don was that when it was easier to say no – to requests, he almost always said yes anyway, and 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 he put the value of the game and what the game was and and how he cherished it. He put that above his own status, or he put that above his own recognition. He just put the game first, and he shared it, and, and he made it available, and he and he made it uh, understandable. Like he made you, I think he made you a better teacher just by getting to hear him. Yeah, no doubt. And we had others too. I mean, it was it was one that Morgan Woot. I mean, come on, it doesn't it get much better than Morgan Woot. Yeah, one, um, one of my biggest regrets when I was like 23, 24, 25, I was at Ada High School and I went up to one of those clinics and I, I told our assistants when I got back, I said, I need to connect to the to the Krause brothers because what we need to do is duplicate their clinic and do one in April. Uh, if we if we could do one here, like at Ada. And, and use our gym and use maybe Northern's players as the demonstrators and, and, and get some really high, high end coaches to come and speak one in the fall up there, one in the, in the spring down here would be good for the whole state. And it's one of the things I've kicked myself about for 25 years that I never tried to push that and pursue that. I think a spring clinic would have been a great thing in Ohio. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you mentioned other coaches uh, that we, you know, had the fortune of going after, uh, you know, in our league, I can, you know, Kenny Burgai from Wasion, we had some great games. Uh, Chad Burr, who took over for for Kenny. Um, Jeremy Best, JB, was at Delta for a couple of years, and you just knew he was going to be a tremendous coach. We coached against him when he was at Hilltop uh, prior to going to Delta. Um, around the area, uh how about Bob Sagerson down at Lima? Uh, Fro, Dave Freilich at Van Wert, Steve Willeman at Liberty Benton. I think a good story, <laughs> a good story is 
we're in the regionals. It's 2003, and um, it's us and Liberty Benton, Winford, and Illyria Catholic. Now, Rob, Rob Sheldon, <laughs> who everybody knows Rob Sheldon, Rob is at Winford, and he never uh, he never lacking for words. He 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 points to he points to Willie and he points to me. He says we can take guys from your team and your team and my team and none of us can beat his Lear. team. Pointing to Larry, and I'm saying to myself, "What's well, this? Why are we even here?" <laughs> well. Uh, we played Liberty Benton in the semis, and we got by them a good ball game. And then we played Larry Catholic, and we got by them uh, as well. So uh, I told I told Sheldon you didn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, uh, there were some good guys there. We had that was uh, uh, a good a good set, maybe two thousand four actually, or five. And you mentioned a, a, a lot of names right there. Like I said, one of my my memories early in my coaching career was I, th I think you guys might have played LCC at Napoleon uh, in the mid to late '90s, maybe or early to mid '90s uh, in, in a tournament game. And I remember being there for for that. What and and I, what I was struck by, even as a young guy trying to figure things out, was it felt like watching you and Coach Seg go head to head. And not surprising that both of your teams were remarkably prepared. Um, but I, I learned a little bit that night about the importance of how do you adjust when they take away the thing you really want to do. And, and, and if you don't mind for a little bit, could could you talk about growing as a coach and, and, and understanding, you know, the, the importance of and developing into the, into more of a game coach? I, I just I always felt like me personally practice was my thing and preparation was really important, but there was a lot of growth area or could have been when I was younger about actual game night coaching. And I thought at least the night I watched you guys in LCC go at it, I thought both, both teams were continually trying to adjust to what was being taken away. And it was real. it was like a master's class for me. I, I loved it. Well, that's, uh, you know, a lot of that, and you just kind of hit on it. Is, is playing off your scouting report and trusting your scouting report um, and making sure your kids understand <laughs> as well. Uh, boy, his teams, they executed the heck out of things. And the thing about when you played Lima uh, Central, I mean, they're just tough kids. I mean, physically tough. And I told our guys, you guys, if you're not tough, we might as well just stay home, you know, because they are going to be physical and the referees are going to let the game go and you, you got to adjust, man. Well, I, I, to answer your question more so, you know, I, I just think you have to see what they're doing to you and then, you know, tweak something. Uh, if it's, um, if they're switching screens, you know, or I don't know if he did that or not, but, you know, say, okay, we have a counter for that. You know, we're going to slip it. We're going to do whatever. Um, if it's uh, a zone thing, they went to the zone. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, pass, 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 high, low, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the kids know that by, you know, especially getting in the tournament. You played enough ball games. 
um, we got to the point where <laughs> if team was or came out in man and we expected at some point in the game for them to go to the zone, we said, we're going to run this. We called it Texas. We're going to run Texas. And I said, I'm not going to yell out. You know it. They run zone. I might say zone, zone, zone. And Texas was a lob. We're going to lob the very first possession. They go to zone. All right. And, and sure enough, that would work a lot. And they, if they go back to man. So yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's the point. Yeah. So anyway, um, I, I don't know. Uh, it's just hit and miss a little bit. And now if it's on you, uh, we've done this. We, you know, we've been pretty much a man team, as you as you said. But you know what? There were times we went to zone. And sure enough, I think a zone messed people up at times. They said, wow, they're playing zone. Right? And uh, it uh, was good for us. So I don't know. Uh, I guess it depends on the game and the time and situation. The one thing that I would I would tell coaches, uh, especially younger coaches, don't be afraid to go to your bench. All right, for two reasons. One, for the guy that you want to bring out of the game, especially if he's if he's not doing things you want him to do. Man, that bench is a motivator. All right, and they they want to get back in. All right. Or maybe he's playing so hard he's tired. He needs a blow. Right? And uh, I think sometimes people are, are maybe not using that bench you know, enough. And uh, if, if you don't have depth come a time, tournament time comes, it's on you as a coach. You build that depth. Uh, just because you, gotta, you, gotta, you can't be afraid to you know, make changes with personnel. You got to trust your kids. Hey, they practice every day with everybody else. Let them play a little bit. And coach, right. I, I love that perspective because I think it's, it just speaks to, to something that coaches can learn from for sure. I guess I would say this. I, I One of the things I thought coach Sagerson did a really good job of, and I think same would be true for, for you, but I, I was up here a lot around Sag a lot more seemed like year in and year out sometime in, in mid January uh, or maybe late January, there'd be, a, there'd be a kid off the JV team that started getting a little bit of varsity time a- almost every, every year that I can remember making a real deep tournament run. Somebody was, was changing a role and getting time because they were, they were preparing for that necessity of the need for depth in, in the, in the uh, postseason play. But Here's a question I always like to ask, especially more experienced coaches. When you're able to use the bench as a as a tool, so to speak, to to motivate kids or to change mindsets and things like that. And we talked about, you know, adjusting to in-game things when the opponent is, is doing some things to take things away or uh, things you need to change. The question that always leads me to ask, especially experienced coaches, because I think you have to be experienced to have a feel for this. You know, there, there's a time in most games when what you're doing maybe isn't very effective and, and, and a change is necessary. Or at times, maybe when what you're doing isn't effective, it's because the guys on the floor aren't paying attention to detail or giving the effort. Um, I, the, the terminology we use when I helped with the Northern women is we would ask the question, is it them, meaning the players, or is it us? As a as a coaching staff, how do you how do you make a determination in game whether it's them and they need to just 
you know, fasten things down and get a little more locked into the effort and details that you want? Or how do you make the decision when maybe it's it's on us? They need our help. We got to get something different done here. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the them or us is I think the the them thing is fairly easy if if uh, they're not getting after it if they're not we're not getting any offensive rebounds we're not getting on the floor getting making the 50 50 plays the hustle plays uh, if we're getting sloppy turning the ball over not people not you know not moving without the ball uh, you know that's a timeout or maybe or you know or sub I mean come on Tell the kid. I mean, a lot of times you don't have time in the game to stand there and decide and tell the kid this. You know, it's better to pull him out of the game, put somebody else in, and then talk to the kid. And then hopefully, you know, the break will be good for him. Uh, if it's uh, if it's we, the coaches, that can do things, again, I, I think we kind of hit on that a little bit ago where you got to change something, you know, whether it be uh, change an offensive set. Uh, if they're if they're getting in your knickers uh, passing lanes, you got to run a back door. Uh, you, 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 you just do different things. Uh, give them a look they haven't seen yet from you uh, and see what, how they, how they react to that. And I think that's, it's a, again, the reason I said, I think it's more of an experienced question to ask is it's, and maybe it just is a, the younger generation, but I, I feel at times I, I see a lot of young coaches who are just constantly doing more and more stuff. Um, maybe because their guys look at them like, well, that didn't work. So now what? And and I, I see some young coaches who are constantly adding and doing additional things to, to make up for when, what they called quote, you know, quote unquote, didn't work. And I mean, you've even coached some players that you, you've got an offense in or you're doing something defensively and and you, you know what the game plan is. And the first time the, the game plan doesn't work to a tee, they look at the bench like, well, are you going to change that? And, you know, we, we played at, at Heidelberg this year and they, they got a kid that comes into the game shooting like 31 percent from the three or 29 percent from the three. And so we said, you know, we're going to go under on ball screens on this kid. And, and about the third ball screen of the game, we go under and he steps behind a screen and nails a three. And everybody looked at the bench, like all the players looked at the bench, like we had let them down. And at halftime, we told the guys, hey, college players will make threes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> once in a while, they'll make a shot. And it's, it's, it's not on us to just all of a sudden go away from a game plan because for one possession, things didn't work great. And I, I see some young coaches today, not not a lot, but you see it occasionally where they just constantly add things that they do. It's like they feel they have the full responsibility for pulling a lever every time something doesn't work. And I just don't believe that's the case. I believe a lot of times it does come down to better attention to detail or maybe even just a little better effort from the players. Well, you know, the one thing I always say is this. But if, if you're a man team, I predominantly, and you go play zone, well, they, the D of offense, pass, 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 gets a wide open three, bingo, they hit it. And you know what you're going to do the next play? You're going to go back to to your man. Right. You know, because I can't give them up wide open contested, uncontested threes. But, you know, if you go back and watch video and, you know, chart it, you'll be amazed at how many wide open threes they got off your man-to-man. -man sure, yep, yep. 
Yep, but it's it's so, it's it's a lot of times if you're man based, it's easier to just go back to what's comfortable too. I think there's there there's some truth oh, to that. No yeah, yep, I think there no is. So, Coach, I just got one last question, and I hope I don't put you on the spot too much here. But after being away from the game for a year or two, uh, and 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 no longer coaching a team, as you watch basketball today, and and you watch the high school game or the college game or the pro game, whatever it is that you watch at different levels, is there anything that's that's happening in the game today and the way the game has changed or, or grown that you, that you, you look at and you think, boy, I'd like to go back and be able to coach that stuff. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things at one time in my coaching career, I thought I would probably be coaching with a shot clock. Yeah. And now I say, there's no way it's not going to happen. Okay, I don't. It may happen you know, at some point, but right now I don't think so. You know, the game has changed to the point. You know, people are all upset about you know how low the score is. You know, I said back in the in our teams in the in the seventies, we averaged eighty five a game and only gave up fifty. Well, nowadays, you know, we like my last year, we maybe scored sixty some and gave up 40, all right? Well, you know, one of the things, one of the things I, I, I think that you you have to uh, be aware of is, you know, you just you go play. You know, the game's been called different. You know, this freedom of movement that we're supposed to be able to have, it's not happening. I mean, it's, yeah. it's uh, the game's just called different. Back in the day, we used to go to the foul line 20-plus times. Now we might be lucky if you get 10 foul attempts shots. So uh, to, to say I want to go back and do something different, I don't know. I, I'd go back. You know what? I'd go back just because I, with the way I went in, why I went in. That's to be around kids. That's to compete. That's to, uh, you know, just uh, I just love it when kids – you know, come back, to, you know, to town and, you know, look you up or you get an email or you get, a, you know, you get a phone call uh, from kids, uh, get invited to their weddings. Uh, you know, those, those are precious times. And, and uh, so that'd be why I'd go back because you know, I'm just, you know, the kids kept you young. <laughs> Amen. And, Amen. And, uh, we all can use that. I just had a phone conversation today with Blake Kendall, and Blake said to tell you hello, by the way. I, I think maybe he might have competed. He might have competed with you and Dave both. He was at Anthony Wayne for a little bit. He was at yeah, Wayne, Waynesville sure Goshen before yeah, that. Yeah. Blake and I were assistants at Bluffton together, and we were just talking today. In sure fact, uh, unfortunately, I, I've, I've got to go up north uh, tomorrow afternoon to go to a funeral visitation for a former player that played for us at Bluffton who was killed in an automobile accident, 35 years old, and uh, just just a tragedy, but but as part of our conversation today, Blake and I were talking, and whatever for whatever reason you get away from it, whether it's you retire and you're done, or you take a year or two off, or your family demands, you know, maybe need, you need to get away from it for a while. I, I don't know, Coach. Whenever I decide I'm done, if if it happens, I don't know that I'll ever not miss being a part of a team. I just absolutely love that dynamic. Yeah, without a doubt, I've been. I've been involved in teams all my life, uh, <laughs> from being a little guy, uh, and you know that's there's so many other things you know we can talk about here. But 
you know, I think that was so important that uh, you're able to, you know, make relationships and, you know, and we had kids that, you know, whether they start. Yeah. And, you know, back in the day, you know, you had kids that just went out and played on their own. Uh, we didn't have adults telling us what to do. And nowadays everything's, you know, adults, you know, are leading the kids around to tell them do this and this and this. And I really believe that's one reason why we don't have a lot of leaders uh, uh, per se. Now, there are a few here and there, but for the most part, uh, they're not out there. Because back in the day, again, when you're younger, you just go play. And maybe that's become a lost art that you don't see kids out playing in the yards anymore uh, together. Uh, you know, a game of basketball or whatever. But, uh, you know, that's just one thing that, uh, you know, I, I do miss oh, the, the team aspect of it. You know, they kept you young and, you know, we all could use a piece of that. There's no doubt. I got I got a son that's going to be a senior in high school and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. My son's been blessed to grow up, you know, with me as a dad. And for the most part, we've always had access to gyms. And so, he, he, he's kind of almost to the point over a lot of his life where if we weren't going to the gym, then you didn't need to think about picking up a ball. And I'm like, get, get outside, grab some buddies and go play. And, and now it feels like a lot of times kids got to have uniforms and referees uh, before it feels like they're doing something that's worth their while. And I think the, the reason I say that is, and I've told my son this, you know, he's 18, 17 years old to be 18 next spring and hopefully, you know, get, hopefully get to have a season, but, he's going to reach a point where you look back and, and, and you miss just that. You miss the team. You miss uh, a group of guys that, that that relied on each other and kind of leaned into each other. And I, I think we, we – I hopefully through some of this stuff we're going through right now, kids are going to realize the importance of doing more on their own and not having everything organized and, and prepared for them and led by adults. And I think there's a chance for some of that to develop through this because my, my feeling is that if guys are getting shots up in the last – four and a half, five months, they've been doing a lot more of it on their own. Well, you'd hope so, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, we'd certainly hope so. Well, listen, Coach, I, I told you we would try to keep this to an hour. We're a little bit over that right now, and I, I just want to thank you for being a part of the podcast and tell you that I, I, I say this often. I mean, Father Time's undefeated, and we all move on and go to different phases of our life, but uh, co coaching's not as well off. Uh, without guys like you and your brother doing it, and, and it's 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 disappointing. I, I told Fro the same thing. When when guys like that got to get out, it's it's disappointing for a guy like me because I I aspired to what you guys were and what you did, and I think that's it, that's always going to perpetuate itself on some level. But uh, it's just a shame guys like you and, and 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 like I said, your brother and Fro and those guys can't can't do it forever because there'd be a lot of value in it. But I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and. Uh, uh, you got a lot going on in your life and a lot of things ahead of you here. I wish you the best, and hopefully we can keep in touch. Okay, John. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm 
backslash John Cook. That's J O N C O O K zero. Anchor.fm backslash John Cook zero. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.